from Grove Studios in Ypsilanti, a place that uh, local musicians or even touring musicians could stop by and use the practice spaces that are available to my left, which uh, right now are not being used, I'm, I'm grateful to say, because we will have a little quieter experience. I'm here today with Ari Hest on Acoustic Alternatives. Ari, it is good to see you again, my friend. Good to see you too, John. It has been a long time. We don't uh, we don't get to visit much when you're when you're not touring, obviously, because you are Brooklyn is still home, right? Or Brooklyn is no uh, things have changed. I'm I'm actually in Massachusetts now. Ooh. Yeah, we can get into that in a bit, but uh, yeah, been been there for three years now. Cool. You liking yeah. it out there? I do. I do like it. You've got a, a family and all the. I all got the... a family. That's that's why Massachusetts. You know? <laughs> Makes not, sense. Not good for New York City, you know. Not particularly. Not, not for my kid. <laughs> So mostly what I've been uh, seeing from you is uh, some new songs on Patreon and most recently a retrospective, which yeah. is pretty cool as well. And uh, I don't know what you'd like to start with, one of the songs you've debuted on Patreon or one of your songs that um, was new on uh, retrospective. Why don't we do the retrospective uh, uh, first? Because there's, there's a few new ones on that too. So Okay. What would you like to start with? Uh, let's do uh, I Remember When. Let's do it. Yeah. Took a look out the window at a dire shade of blue Used to be hard to tell, but now you don't need a closer view Darkness in the hearts of those I used to recognize Been building up a long time, I shouldn't be surprised I was taught a single vision of the land where I was born The example that we set before our fabric had been torn and I wonder if we'll ever truly find our way again Or should we get busy saying I remember when Yesterday's a footprint left to vanish in a storm Someone cute to retrace it But they're sorely misinformed Gone are the days we could agree to disagree It's a war of us and them and an abandonment of we Oh, and maybe all we need is to submit to our demise To begin again without the clouds of fury in our eyes But I won't hold my breath, it seems far more likely in Is that we're destined to keep saying I remember when I remember Clouds may soon drift far enough to change our point of view Righteous are the hearts and minds I truly recognize The path is long and bending toward a kind of world that's wise May our children fight the power better than we ever could And may the errors of my generation help them see what's good I hope for every helpless soul to find some joy again in sound tones we look back saying I remember when I remember when I remember Ari Hest is my guest on Acoustic Alternatives today. I remember when from his uh, recent retrospective, and I realized as you're singing, I probably could have the microphone a little closer to your mouth. Oh, I mean, it still sounds fine. Soft, yeah. No, no, it's just that like I'm looking at it going, that's pretty far away from where he is. But uh, professional guys would have done that before. 
you started. So uh, from my seat, I'm making Damn changes. I know. You think I've been doing this long enough? Actually, I think I've interviewed you in different forms, or coworkers have in the last 15 years. Like it's it's this, yeah. <laughs> we've known each other a while. A long time. Yeah. There's there's even times apparently I picked you up from the airport according to interviews <laughs> that I've done for uh, outdoor events that we've done at the station that I used to work at. Me but uh, long long relationship we've had, and I'm glad we're. Still friends. Yes, is, first time in Ypsilanti doing. Yes, Ypsilanti is fun to say too, isn't it? Totally. All right. So usually with these, I, I go back in time a little bit. We go, we go like we okay. pretend we've never met in a way, perhaps. Mm-hmm. And nice I like to, to ask, you. I like to ask about like young you, like growing up. Well, tell mm-hmm. me about your family. Were there? I mean, you're so soft spoken with with such a golden voice. I thought to myself. What was Ari like as a kid? Was he the quiet one? Like that everyone overpowered in the house? Because I felt like that's yeah. my impression from <laughs> like just knowing you. I, I'm, I'm a younger brother. Uh, my, my older brother, Danny, um, was probably the louder one and the one that was just more assertive growing up. And, uh, you know, he, he was the, the, the more gifted one with the technical stuff, you know, fixing things and... Um, building things, and he was just, I was more of a space cadet. Um, but uh, I grew up in, in um, kind of two different houses for most of my childhood. My my, uh, my father and mother lived five minutes from each other um, since I was like seven years old, I think, was when they split up. So I, um, <clears throat> but yeah, I was I was the softer spoken, you know, one of the two of us. And uh, everybody was musical. Um, both my parents, you know, did it professionally in some respect. And my brother was also, uh, is also a, a talented musician, pianist, uh, singer, sang a cappella group, in, uh, sang an a cappella group in, at Cornell uh, University where he went. And, um, you know, just never did it professionally. But, um, but yeah, that's that's what it was you know we grew up a little right outside of New York City, uh, in a uh, uh, technically it's like part of New York City, but uh, it's called Riverdale, um, and uh, yeah, we just grew up in this this uh, nice little area that uh, we weren't quite a part of the madness of New York, but we weren't quite uh, in the in the the suburbs, somewhere in between. So I grew up in a suburb of Detroit, and okay. I, you know we had backyards and we had neighbors and things like that. And I think about growing up in a New York type city where it's just like city, 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 city. And like, how do you have that kind of life? Like the childhoods must have been well, very it different. Was, it was normal for me up until the last few years of my life, where um, when my wife and I knew we were going to have a kid, we we just decided that New York was not where we wanted to raise her, so we moved to. Um, close to the town where she grew up, which is close to Boston, but a good you know 30 minutes away. Uh, and it was the first time I lived in a house. <laughs> you know, I'd lived in an apartment building my whole life, uh, in different apartment buildings, uh, depending on where in, in New York. So it was really the first time that I had to worry about mowing the lawn or you know um, just things. <laughs> Things that I took for granted that, you know, when you live in an apartment in New York City, you pay a maintenance fee and some somebody winds up doing all the stuff that you <laughs> now have to do yourself. And, and it took a little while for me to, you know, figure out how to do some things that probably uh, most people I know knew very early on how to do. No offense meant, it, but offend, no offense meant, but first world problems, right? Yes, I, mean, totally. I mean, it's it's a cool problem to have. Yeah, <laughs> I have a house to maintain, and I have a house. Yeah, <laughs> let's yes, start there. Exactly, I have a house, exactly, which is pretty cool. Well, I yeah, I just tried to imagine. Okay, well, what, what would Ari have been doing if he's in this big city? Like, I know you're a big baseball fan. Did you play baseball as a kid? I I grew up um, in Riverdale. I, I grew up. Uh, my mother's place was right by a park. So it, it had a small little league field um, that is still very dear to me. Every time I go home, I, I want to kind of <laughs> take it all in because I'm such a baseball guy. And, um, you know, there's some places when you're that young that just really stick with you um, for, you know, a lot of reasons. And so there was, a, there was that, there was a, the basketball courts. So it, it was where I would go every day after school. And I was pretty athletic. Um, not the best basketball player, but I'm a tall guy, so I, I played. Um, 
and but baseball was more my thing and it, it's just it, growing up as soft-spoken as I was uh, and at the time not really playing music um, sports was was where it was at for me it was it's how I communicated with people mm-hmm. um, luckily I was pretty gifted at baseball so you know I kind of made the friends that I had that way and School was was secondary to that. You know, I look forward to, to coming home and, and playing for a few hours and, until my my mother would go out on the terrace and scream my name and say that you know dinner is ready or <laughs> or uh, you know you got to do your homework one or the other. Right. What position do you play? I at the time I was kind of all over the place, but I mostly pitched. I kind of figured you as a pitcher for some reason because yeah. your ability to. Yes. Does that get in the way of playing guitar, though? Because you can easily well, throw your shoulder out. funny you say that, because uh, by the time I was in high school, I started to feel some pain in my arm when I threw. And for a guy my size, to throw a fastball in the in the, the high 70s is not particularly amazing. Um, not major league worthy. Not major league worthy. Uh, that's when I knew that baseball was not going to be <laughs> a lasting thing for me. Um as far as you know, pr- the the prospect of being a professional, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I just uh, I I continued to play uh, throughout high school and and uh, and still do now in in like a old older man league <laughs> in uh, in the Boston area. <laughs> older <Yeah>. man, <laughs> I'm older than you. Got it. <laughs> so, Red Sox, Mets, or Yankees. Yankee fan, just because I grew up right next to the, you know, the, the ball, you know, not far from the ballpark. And, yeah. Uh, it's just in my blood, you know. Um, but I recognize the unfair advantages that, well, all the teams you just mentioned kind of, kind of have that. But best team uh, money can buy is how I look at all three of those. Yeah, it, it, it can feel like that. I prefer when the Yankees are a team that is, uh, you know. An underdog throughout the season, and and then maybe they win at the end. That that feels a little better to me somehow yeah. than if they just kick everybody's butt, you know, from the beginning. Been an exciting year for the Yankees. Yeah. Judge though, not bad, not bad. As yeah. of today, still sixty, but Pujols, as of yesterday, hits six ninety nine and seven hundred. Incredible, so, incredible, hard to believe. But with you know, kind of getting back to the the you know how big I am and my my arms starting to bother me, I'm just in awe of people like Aaron Judge who are. You know he's even bigger than I am, and his body control. You know when he plays sport. I mean, same thing with LeBron James. Those guys are a cut above. You know they're 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 taller than most of the guys that play the positions that they play, but they still have the body control of somebody who's smaller, and it's just incredible. Um, you know, given the fact that I, you know, for instance, am someone who. Clearly, my body was not adjusting well to, to <laughs> my growth spurt when I was in high school, and that's why my arms started to give, give me problems. And uh, you know, it's just amazing to watch those guys. And where did guitar come into play at this point? Because I'm now I'm picturing young Ari baseball field all the time, not practicing guitar, yeah. guitar at this. I I had a couple of you know uh, I wouldn't even call them good friends, but they were they were guys that I knew. That would hang out in the hallways of the of the high school, and uh, you know there would be these little alcoves where they had a couch or something where you could sit and hang out. And I would see them play guitar. Um, and growing up, I never tried guitar. I played piano. Um, my parents forced me to take lessons <laughs> until a certain point when I when I showed them. I just like I, I wasn't really interested, even though. You know, I was interested in music, but I just didn't want to take lessons. You know, it wasn't for me. Maybe it was the teacher. I don't know. But um, anyway, those guys were playing in the hallways in between classes, and and I just sat down and started to hang out a little with them, and and you know, look at what they were doing. I'm like, this is cool, and and it was a social thing for me too. It was another way of sort of getting out of the shy person I was uh, to go ahead and and see what that's like pick up a guitar you know maybe this is something that you might like to do that you can do with other people so I did um, and at the time you know they were heavy into smashing pumpkin songs so I, I would play a lot of that stuff uh, Pearl Jam uh, was was big uh, Soundgarden like all those kind of bands that they they were into it even more than I was at that time, but 
you know, I wanted to learn those songs anyway, just to see, uh, just to kind of be part of the the, the unit there mm-hmm. and, and be able to all play together. Uh, and my mother had a guitar that I, I started to bring to school after a while, that um, you know, just to to play. So were you the guitarist or the vocalist? I was at the time just playing guitar. Um, you know, singing. I knew I could sing from a young age. My father was a jingle writer, one of the musical hats that he wore. Nice. Uh, and occasionally he would write a jingle where they would need kids to sing on them. <laughs> and I would be one of the kids, and they dragged me to it. I wasn't really particularly interested, but I, you know, I, I knew still at that time that I could sing. Um, I wouldn't say that I was like super interested in it, but I knew that I could do it. Um, you know, everything everything was about sports <laughs> until I was like 15, you know. Um, and and then guitar, and then I started to sing the songs that I was learning, those, those songs, and emulate Eddie Vedder uh, or, you know. Uh, Dave Matthews was, you know, big in that, at that time in my high school. So, you know, it, it, that, those, those guys were, you know, the people that I were, I was, I was trying to sound like, because uh, I didn't really know myself yet. So I would, I would emulate them more than anything else. Interesting. Because yeah. I, I mean, a lot of people who do the kind of music that you were performing are more like a Joni Mitchell influence. Or Joni, for, I mean, that's, that's a name that I had always heard that I didn't know. I didn't know anything about Joni Mitchell until, I mean, I still knew very little in my 20s. And then I met, I met my girlfriend, then wife, uh, who was a massive Joni fan in my 30s. Mm-hmm. And that's when I really got more into, into her. Um, but a, lo- a lot of the, the names, a lot of the names that I probably should have known back in in as early as you know my teenage years um and their music i you know i'd heard songs here and there but i didn't even know who it was Mm. and i didn't uh i didn't bother to learn about it until later on (laughs) you know there were some exceptions like i knew dylan i knew the beatles and the beach boys but um but uh, you know Joni and and even judy collins who i wound up doing a lot with later on. We're going to get to that. Uh, I yeah. didn't know much about her. Uh, and uh, Paul Simon seems like it would have been like being in New York, for Christ's sake. Sure. He he was one that I knew a little more just because my folks were so into him and they used to play him on the, you know, it's the tape deck in the car and things like that. So I, I, I knew I knew his songs and I knew who he, who he was and liked it. Um, it was kind of like a family favorite. Sure. But, yeah. Us too. Yeah, Simon Garfunkel's greatest hits on eight track, Whoa. showing my age, Whoa. was a favorite of my mom's, and uh, for sure. And we actually have some similarities. Like baseball cards came before collecting music. Yeah. So I love. I still love baseball, but music cards, really is yeah. my like passion. I just don't do anything with it. Like I, I recently found out that baseball cards, <laughs> essentially from uh, 1980 on, they don't. They haven't really. The value hasn't gone up. Just like a rid of them. There was, <laughs> well, there was a point at which I, I, I a couple of years ago, I was like thinking, man, I have a Ken Griffey Jr. and Don Manningly rookie cards, Wade Boggs. Like I, I, I need to. I don't want these anymore. Like, let me see what I can get for them. And Actually, I looked it up, and it's just like anything <laughs> after 1980 that it's, it's no big deal. You know? <laughs> what a shame. Yeah. Well, anyway, you followed the music path, which is yeah. a good thing. This is how we meet. Uh, yeah. I imagine the first public performances of your singing were with your, your kids' band, doing Pumpkins and, and Pearl yeah. Jam, things like that. So more of a the rock battle thing. of the bands of, of high school. Right. So that's yeah. that's a very different person than we're seeing today. Mm-hmm. Was there somebody uh, in the realm of the artists you mentioned that you're like, I want to be like Dave and get a major label deal? Or was you know was there was there ever a point where you thought to yourself, major label, that's for me? Um. I don't know that I thought about it that way. Uh, I think when I did get offered a couple of major contracts, uh, I've just kind of felt like, let's just give it a shot. I was in the mode of, uh, now we're going in like 23 years old or so. Uh, I still didn't feel like I knew musically who I, who I was, even personally who I, who I was. Um, but I was starting to get offers and, I was 
curious enough to just give it a, a try. And I was thinking, like, if it doesn't work out, I'm still young enough to pursue something else or, or whatever. Um, but I, it wasn't something where I, I was like, man, I, I see that that guy on MTV, and I'm like, I, you know, I want to I want to be that or okay. play uh, in front of thousands of people. It wasn't. Um, and it's interesting because I, I think a lot of the people, a lot of my contemporaries, they didn't grow up that way. You know, they they fell from the get go. This is their calling, and this is, you know, I want to be that. And I didn't have that. Um, later on, I I figured out kind of what I where I wanted things to go, and have largely, you know, I feel like I've, you know, in some instances that's worked out, some not. But I guess that's life. And um, but I, I didn't have this this like huge desire as a, as a young person to uh, to be a big rock star. So how I, you had a couple of independent releases before you were signed to yeah. a major. How did they find you? What, what, what were you doing that was getting the attention of the labels that were pursuing you? I was I was selling out rooms in different cities that I can't now. I mean, it was really amazing. Is it? It's. I mean, you. I'm sure you've heard. Uh, yeah. Other people around that time, the early 2000s, uh, singer-songwriter, male singer-songwriters is a big deal. Uh, you get your music on the internet and, and somebody says, uh, you know, you sound like this guy or that guy who's a bigger name. Um, chances are your music is going to be heard by a lot more people. And at the time, my music was more accepted by a younger crowd, the college crowd, you know the the Dave Matthews kind of style, uh, you know, uh, acoustic guitar and and percussive. It, it was a lot of solo acts that were coming out around then that uh, were getting attention, and I was one of them. Um, and that's the you know that's the way it was going early on. Well, I'm glad it worked out. I think we discussed this before, but without that major label attention for a short while a lot of people wouldn't know who you were i mean you that's might true. not have gotten that's true although again like you know there there were places even before i remember selling out a room in new york 500 people bowery ballroom uh and it was right when we were uh, you know figuring out we i mean my brother and i my brother was my manager at the time yeah uh you know which which deal i was going to take it was just this extremely fortunate position I was in, uh, but also worked pretty hard to get there as far as being on the road. I had already been on the road even at that point for a few years, uh, you know, playing 200 shows a year because I didn't really have to be home for any reason. Um, and yeah, I mean, that, that, was, that was already happening at that time without their help. Uh, but yes, there, there was some things that they did help with that I probably couldn't have done myself uh, at that time. Well, let's take a break from the chat for a minute and do another song. We've okay. been chatting a while. What would you like to do? Um, let's do, I think, let me do the song Doing the Math. Now, this is another newer one uh, from an album that I released two years ago now. Uh, right before the pandemic, so this is like <laughs> great I'm still, timing. I'm still sort of promoting the release of it now. It happens. Uh, uh, but this, this is doing the math from uh, my album Against the Sky. change each time you add them up you gotta go back and rearrange you can't expect the day to go just how you plan it's no use doing the math or even thinking that you can in the dead of the night I awoke to a sound that hurt my heart I heard my little lady crying, she must have realized we were apart. So I hurried to the crib, and I found her fast asleep. Maybe it was all a dream, or oh, the learning curve is steep. 
I'm hoping for the best I'm prepping for the worst I can't decide these days What's a blessing or a curse My love tells me she's excited Then she tells me she's a wreck Just when I think I know what's coming It's time to double check One day I will look back On this windy, rugged path be glad I took it easy and didn't do the math. I'm hoping for the best, I'm prepping for the worst. I can't decide these days what's a blessing or curse. Just how you plan It's no use doing the math Or even thinking that you can It's no use doing the math Or even thinking that you can Doing the Math, Ari Hest on Acoustic Alternatives, podcast recorded in Ypsilanti at Grove Studios. Fantastic performance space for uh, artists to... Uh, well, practice. Get out of the garage and get into the studio, they say. Mm. It's a good place to not annoy your neighbors. <laughs> Do you know that you were my first house concert? I didn't know that until I went I back and listened. Know that. Yeah, I, you were doing a house concert at Stan Garfield's house. Yes. And, uh, Stan, I, who, was the, who was at the, the show. Yeah. Last. And I, I was listening back to one of the interviews we did years ago, and I mentioned that that was my first. I'm like, really? Because like, <laughs> I love house concerts now. It's like, yeah, me too. Joys of my life, really. I love the venues that you play at, but uh, it's nothing quite like the intimacy of that that uh, somebody's home thing. Yeah, and and you you don't really know what you're gonna get as a <laughs> performer. You, you know, you arrive and you're like, okay, is this gonna be cool or not? <laughs> Ten people or fifty people, a hundred people or two yeah. People. <laughs> I mean, it's it's that, and it's like figuring out where you're gonna stand in somebody's living room, and yeah, um, you know, all the fun things that kind of come with not knowing what your stage is going to be like and and how the show is going to go i i like it a lot it's it's you know it's new environments for for me and for the the crowd to see uh someone in a way that they would not normally see them no that's probably a really great way to connect with people too yeah because they're inviting friends that may not know you yes and they discover hey door open here right all right, we were in your mid twenties. Columbia yeah. Records signed you. Mm-hmm. Did a few albums with them. You knew at some point it wasn't going to work out for you. Yeah. you. Went back to being indie, but you must have some favorite memories of the time that you were like on this label and getting the push. Like I know you did some tours with OAR, Stephen Kellogg, Finn Brothers. I, I yeah. found all that information by listening to old, old uh, interviews with right. you. So there must have been some like, wow, this stuff never would have happened if it wasn't for <laughs> Columbia, I suppose. Uh, favorite the, memory. The stuff that you just mentioned. Or the the names that you just mentioned, um, I wouldn't call them the. I mean, Stephen's a friend of mine, and, yeah. and that that was kind of happening before uh, before the label. Uh, you know, us playing together. In fact, we actually played together two weeks ago again. It's so good to see him. Um, but the the those other acts, um, it, there were elements of it that were fun, and and you know maybe there's, there might be a story in there that I could. Really, if I think hard, I, <laughs> that that's okay. I, that yeah. I love. But you know, the OAR tour was actually, um, you know, those guys are are sweethearts, and the the they were great to me. Um, but the audience was not the right audience for me, uh, and I learned I didn't know that until I got on that tour, and that was a real turning point, actually, um, in in my career. So this is not, I'm not really answering your question, <laughs> okay. but. Um, it, the uh, the fact that uh, you know the label ponied up quite a bit of money for me to be on that tour got me a tour bus. It's the only time in my career I had a tour bus. Um, it was two weeks, uh, and you know I was playing for like five six thousand people a night, mostly college kids because their crowd is is that. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've you've seen their shows yeah. or was that. I don't know if it, if it is anymore, but um, I learned pretty quickly that they were more interested in in music that they could really you know 
I, I don't know if the right word is like party to, but they they were they were more interested in in they were not interested in like really like listening to lyrics and right. and uh, and being in more of a a mode of just like let's sit and watch, and that is what I do. So, you know, Stephen would get up there. He was the first of three on that tour. I was in the middle. Stephen would do his thing. His thing is always entertaining, yeah. even though his music actually. I would consider more listening music, but his, you know, his, the way that he presents himself on stage and the way he is as a person too, it's just like, he has this magnetic, uh, I don't know, gregariousness and very clever with the jokes on stage. And my thing is not that, you know, it, it's, it's, I, I, I want to connect in a, in a, a different kind of way mm -hmm. and it was wrong for the for the <laughs> for that tour um and like i said or the guys in oir were, were very nice to me and they they actually at one point they were kind of starting to feel bad for, because the reaction was not very good for me it was more just sort of you know lukewarm at best mm -hmm. and on most of the shows so they would come out and introduce me just to see if like that would help <laughs> the crowd sort of get more into it and you know, for those 40 minutes or whatever it is that my, me and my band at the time were playing, it was difficult because mm -hmm. I, I would hear chants of, you know, from, of the uh, OAR yeah. in the background while I was trying to sing something that was like, you know. <laughs> it's disrespectful. Yeah, but, I, you know. That's not what they came to see. It's not what they came to see. I don't really blame them no. uh, for it because, the, you know, they, they didn't know it was going to be like that. And uh, it, it was just not the right fit. Mismatch. So, mismatch. Yeah, I mismatch. mean, the Finn brothers would make more sense. More. The Finn brothers would be more in line, and that that did work out. Um, yeah. There were some others along the way that I, I had the good fortune of opening for um, that you know were were more in line with what I do. Um, but as far as what Columbia Records did for me, uh, you know, I think that I can remember some some fun times where they would. You know, they were trying to push the the first single off of my first record, which was "They're Onto Me." Uh, That's where and, it started for me. Yeah, and and you know, they had me. I don't know if the first time I saw you or or did one of these sessions with you, um, it might have been, you know, something that they put together because they, they had me on this whirlwind radio tour. Uh, I'd never done anything like it, and still never have. Where like basically for a month and a half, I would go to three different radio stations a day in wow. in different cities so i would fly you know from uh, phoenix to san diego you know i'd do something in phoenix in the morning san diego afternoon late afternoon i'd drive up to to la and do something there it was that level of kind of craziness yeah uh, no actual I, shows just right two but, songs and, on the radio. and the other weird thing about it was it wasn't necessarily to do a, a session like this where where it was just you and you and me um, they would have like the entire radio team would be in a conference room and I, you missed, must've heard stories oh, like yeah. this before, but Absolutely. yeah, I mean, sometimes they would have me like stand on the table and play <laughs> and that was their, that was what they wanted. And I was like, all right, sure, I guess, you know, and you know, the song was a, more of a rock song, so mm -hmm. it could fit that mood. So I was like, all right, let, let's do that. But I played there on to me three or four times a day um, in radio stations for, for six weeks, and it was pretty crazy. That's probably why you don't play it in the shows much. <laughs> Still one of my favorites of yours, because it, it was the door opener. It was yeah, the one that well, maybe... I get that. I get that. Yeah, I don't, I don't play it as often. I think it's more a function of just how much I've written since then. I mean, yeah. that, was, that was 2001 that I wrote that song. I was 22. I was, uh, you know, working as a, a math tutor in, in the city, um, and wrote it about like uh, some uh, this family that I knew that I thought was going to fire me because I wasn't helping the kid at all. Um, so that you know, anyway, that the, the memory for from uh, the, the most poignant memory from Columbia was was that was that tour that radio tour, uh, which was just crazy, just going all over the place in such a short amount of time. Now I'm trying to remember if that ended up on your retrospective or not. I don't have it in front of me. Mm, no. Um, <laughs> I don't think it's did it. No, yeah, I think you know. I think I got you got you got the rights me. back to your albums, right? I have the rights to almost everything. 
Right. Yeah, Columbia gave me everything back, which yeah. was nice of them. Yeah. They didn't have to do that. Well, that's um, probably the song that got the most airplay for you, perhaps. It did. So <laughs> it, it, seems, did. it seems odd not to have it on there, but whatever. Yeah. I I think I... Yeah, I, I'm I'm trying to think of of what other song I would have put on the retrospective. I think it is on the retrospective. I think it's the, the second song, but I'm not. It probably is. That, yeah, so. I'd have to look. I, I didn't bring it with me. <laughs> well, the career obviously kept going beyond the major label. You kept putting putting out indie records. You had a yeah. BMG. I think I remember exactly what subsidiary of BMG it was, but a couple of yeah, records yeah. came out on one of their imprints, and yeah. then. Uh, You've continued to do your thing. Collaborations became a, a big part of Bigger, a part yeah. of your life. So there was the Open Sea. Right. Uh, you've got a project with your wife. Right. Bluebirds Blue of Paris. Paradise, yeah. Did that happen before you were married or were you married already? Bef- right before. Okay. A little before. Led to your marriage, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then Judy Collins. And then Judy, Some, yeah. Somehow, this guy who didn't grow up listening to Judy Collins yeah. <laughs> ends up collaborating with her. A little odd. She yeah. found you because you well, were opening a show? A combination of, of a couple of things. Uh, I started working a little bit with her manager. Uh, and, you know, when I met her manager, she, we, we, we actually thought that it wasn't the right thing for me to open for her. So that idea was not in uh, on the table. Uh, her manager uh, was uh, trying to help me in other, other ways, publishing-wise and... and uh, radio stuff and whatever, but uh, but then there was the conference in New York where uh, it's called APAP. Uh, it's like a um, you know for performing arts centers to come and see prospective you know uh, musicians that they might want to bring in. Judy was a headliner at one of these things, and I was one of several opening acts. And Judy walked in while I was playing so I was on stage it was in the middle of the afternoon or something she was going to be on four hours later she walked in because she was going to start getting ready for her thing and she heard me play and she said you know afterwards she's like I like it do you want to you want to open a show for me that was the beginning of our our relationship and of course I had to then you know really look up more about Judy Collins because I I only knew the name the name and you know I I knew that she had uh, done some 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 covers of Leonard Cohen, Joni, th- things like that, but I didn't really know much else about her. Um, of course, my wife, who's a musical encyclopedia, knew everything about her. Sweet Judy Blue Eyes. Yeah, hmm. and right, exactly. <laughs> like I I knew that song, but I didn't I, I did I didn't know that that was about her. You know, I yeah. didn't I didn't put two and two together because I just nobody told me and I yeah. I never figured it out until until my wife said something. You're a baseball fan, not a musicologist. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so at you know thirty three years old or something, that's around the time that I met her. Uh, you know, I got more of a lesson in who she is, and and uh, got to know her personally more. And she's she's amazing to me. Still has me open shows occasionally. That's cool. Uh, you know, has me record with her, write with her occasionally. It's it's been great. And her fans have connected with you, I hope. Yeah, yeah. It, it turned out to be a good a good deal. I mean, it makes sense because the the crowd is a listening crowd. It's, right. You know, it's a it's obviously a, a little older crowd that is more accustomed to folk music and mm-hmm. listening to lyrics and. You know, they're not really dancers at the show. So <laughs> it, it works with what I do. So the OAR crowd is not there. Yeah. The OAR <laughs> I, I crowd don't think is so. I don't else. think so. <laughs> but then getting nominated for a Grammy was probably something you never thought you'd be part no, of either. No, that was a complete shock. I didn't even know that we were uh, considered. Um, I should have I should have thought that that might happen, though, because I knew that... I did know that Judy had won a Grammy before and that, you know, she... Obviously, because she's such a big name, you know, she submits her whatever album she mm. makes, you know, to be considered. Just in case. Yeah. But it, it was a total shock when they told me that I was nominated. It's crazy. What kind of songs do her audience connect with? Like after the shows, oh, I really loved X, Y. I mean, it seems like there's similarities with what you've written, but. Yeah. What, what kinds of songs? Like, um, yeah, when, when you're playing a show opening for her. And people come talk to you after the show. Which what well, are they? really, what happened was that that she pretty early on in me opening for her, maybe by the third show, she's like, "Let's sing together." But I want to sing your songs and and just lend some harmonies. So we mm-hmm. started singing "Strangers Again," 
stuff, older stuff that she had actually gone on online. You know, I don't know, wow. streaming it or what. But she she heard my older music and and said, you know, I'd love to sing with you on on that one. Fireplays. Um, uh, there's some other ones too, but we we started doing my music before we did anything else. Hmm. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Speaking of your music, yeah, another song. Sure. Why don't we do Strangers again? Okay. I kind of felt like I was leading you somewhere. <laughs> Wasn't a hundred percent sure. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't talk about. What do you want to play today, Ari? No, I didn't. I haven't thought about it either. But Wherever the conversation goes, that's what's, that's the beauty of this. There's no real agenda. It's just introduce people to Ari Hest. That's my point today. voice of Ari Hest on Acoustic Alternatives, Strangers Again, and a song that's being performed here at Grove Studios in Ypsilanti for the podcast. And thank you for doing that, sir. Thanks. Thanks, John. I'm unaware of what the song was written about because I've never asked you, but I feel like it's almost like a, a friendship you you, you you had and lost. And uh, I, I did not write the lyrics to most of that song. Okay. Uh, I wrote the music and this is this is common uh for me i'm well 
90% of the songs that I, I write, I, I write by myself, but there's there's definitely been a few along the way that uh, I write all the music, have some kind of melody, and you know, pretty much all flushed out, and then hand it off to somebody else. In this case, it was this guy named Marvin Itzioni, uh, who, among other things, produced Toad the Wet Sprocket albums. I know and, the name. Uh, has written for a lot of different people, with a lot of different people. He was the one that took uh, the title, essentially, um, and a, maybe a couple of lines here or there, and really developed it lyrically. Um, this is also way back in uh, probably 02 or 03 uh, that that happened. So I got to credit him for that. So I don't know who he was talking about. <laughs> um, but, you know, of course, these in these situations um in order for me to connect with the song i have to think about somebody in my life that maybe uh that that is the you know whatever's going on in the lyric somehow relates to to my life or else it doesn't really seem like i i feel it as much no emotion I'm singing it right yeah so i do have a person in mind that that uh you know occasionally pops up that oh yeah that's that person for me. <laughs> yeah, I had one too. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's move on to a few other uh, topics that I was going to sure. discuss. Uh, it seems like the Grammy thing was a cool thing to be part of your 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 realm, but you've also had some songs placed in television and film. Mm-hmm. Do you ever like seek out those things to hear them? And if you do, which one actually gave you like goosebumps? Like, oh my god, my song is using <laughs> this, and it's really really cool. Um, I, I, of course, I'm interested in seeing the scene, yeah, um, and sometimes disappointed just because it's either it it doesn't seem to fit what's going on, and I'm like, wait, why? <laughs> or uh, it's so far in the background that you can barely hear it, and uh, you know, in those moments, you're like, okay, I, no one's gonna know, no one's gonna know that that's me, so I don't think it's really gonna help get some ears, you know, <laughs> listening to my music. But yeah, of course, I I, I try to, uh, you know, go and, and check out whatever it's in, whatever songs are, are in and what. So, um, goosebumps. I was I was uh, curious because I had just binged Breaking Bad, uh, and I saw that um, you know Jesse Pinkman. I'm forgetting his actual name. Yeah, Aaron but, Paul. Yes. He had done um, a, a new series right after that that was on, I want to say, either Netflix or Hulu or something like that. And one of my songs wound up in a scene that was, it was fitting uh, that it, it wound up in the scene. And just because I had just seen him, you know, for nights on end. Right. You know, uh, As a lot cooking, of us did. Cooking stuff. It's <laughs> uh, okay. So you, this is not radio. You can say cooking method. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I got a kick out of it. <laughs> I bet that was cool. Yeah. All right. One of the things that's definitely changed since we first met is you're now married and have a, a child, yeah. Nova. Yeah. Uh, Chrissy Poland, your, your wife, also a singer. Yeah. Uh, I... I Friend requested her recently on Facebook because one of our our mutual friends said, "Do you see any of the videos that Chrissy posts of, of Nova?" I'm like, "No." So I started <laughs> watching a few of her, her singing the Beatles. Was like, oh, "Come on, yeah. she seems like a really cool kid." So obviously, life has changed a little bit. It, yeah, it, it, it definitely has. How has yeah. it changed how you approach your career? Because now you have a little less time. I do. Um, having one kid, uh, and I, I can safely say that it hasn't like derailed uh you know my career <laughs> at all um i feel comfortable with the idea that on the weekends um unless unless chrissy's doing something you know uh as far as playing shows um i'm gonna be out doing something uh you know musically for for the weekends and then during the week i'm dad you know, yeah, it's your job. It is my job, and and that's not to say that I don't communicate with my daughter, you know, on the weekend either. But I, I, I that's the weekend because I only have one kid. Uh, I think that's making it possible that I can still do this professionally. <laughs> um, I don't understand how someone, for instance, like Stephen Kellogg, I, you know, I never really asked him, but he's got four daughters. I'm aware uh, of this. And and you and know, there's a song about each one of them, so you got some work. Right, to do. I do, I do. Although I'm, I don't know if I'm going to have any more kids, but uh, I think the the you know the sheer amount of just 
stuff that he must have to uh, think about as far as like taking care of all his kids. And he's a good dad. I've seen him at work. <laughs> um, I don't understand how he does it. I, I really don't understand how anybody does more than two. Um, but, you know, we, because my wife and I are both performers and we, we, we want to be out there playing, um, you know, the one and the dog is is pretty much as much as we can we can handle. Soto? Sato, Sato was the, was the well. Soto. That's the kind of tigers. that's what they call the the dogs that uh, yeah that you get rescued from Puerto Rico. His name is George, but yeah. Um, yeah so so uh, my kid is very musical as as you might imagine. Um, <laughs> listens to a lot of great music because that's what we you know we put her in front of. Although there have been some some. Uh, amazing things that we've just happened to come by in the music that that some of these cartoons have these days is really amazing mm. uh bluey is the one that we're obsessed with at the moment i don't know if you've ever seen the the, the show but um it's first of all it's worth watching even if you don't have a kid because it's funny <laughs> it's kind of in the same way that the simpsons is funny i still watch the simpsons all right yeah there you go um but the music is so well done on top of that um, to the point where I like sought out the the soundtrack and wow. and uh, looked up the the performers and it's it's really special. Uh, so she loves that show, but you know usually in the morning, I come downstairs and she's got this little uh, I forget what they call it, like Yoto or something like that where she puts in a a card almost like a credit card <laughs> uh, into this device that starts playing uh, the music or the or or. Uh, it's not necessarily music, but she usually puts on in like a, a Beethoven thing or something. And it's this is what we've taught her. But now she's kind of into it. And it's a really nice feeling to, to you know, if you're going to wake up at 530 or six in the morning and feel super groggy and start making breakfast, <laughs> you know, you, you want to be listening to something you can you can you know, ease into the day with. And, and so she's getting that. <laughs> and then the Beatles, of course, are playing plenty of that. So, yeah. I hope someday to meet her. She sounds great. Yeah, I hope I hope we can take her out at some point. It's a little too early, but Yeah, but we'll she's I, like the little videos I watch, like, what an amazing kid. You're so lucky. Yeah. <laughs> Not everybody I, I gets do feel that kind of kid. Yeah. yeah. All right. So back, we'll backtrack a little bit again. Back in 2008, when I was interviewing you in the middle of the recording project for 52, yeah. you'd been experimenting with new instruments. Now, we've already talked about you playing piano and guitar. Mm -hmm. Then you were just kind of like dabbling in other things. Have you mastered anything else besides piano and guitar? Mm -hmm. No, just piano and guitar. Didn't well, I, I play other things still. Uh, I think that as far as the experimenting goes, it was more about like what they call found sounds in, in you know, the music world. It's like, I'm going to pick up this capo and see how it sounds when I hit the table and is it interesting enough for me to put it on a recording. That's the kind of stuff I was doing, especially back that year. Um, just picking up stuff around the house and clanging it against something else, something percussive. Um, and you can hear it on a lot of those songs. It's, it's like household items that are <laughs> making a lot of the noise. Um, I did discover though that I love the bass and have gotten a little better at that. I wouldn't say I'm mastering it by, by any means, but uh, honestly, that's my favorite instrument. Mm. Uh, so interesting. Uh, I I look forward to to writing more bass lines in the future, which I'm able to do, you know, um, more so because I'm writing very often with the Patreon thing now. So I'm. I'm, uh, you know, playing a lot of, of bass on that. When you were doing that, there was a weeding out process for the 12 Mondays record. You let your fans vote on the 52 yeah. songs, 52 more in the yeah. <laughs> um, So now you're doing the Patreon thing. You're just yeah. basically putting up... Half as many. Half as many. <laughs> By the way, Patreon is a great way to find out about what Ari is doing uh, currently. We'll, we'll get to that. But uh, is, there, is there a weeding out process before it gets to Patreon? Like, do you run it past Chrissy or somebody? Like, do you have somebody... I'm not. I'm, I'm winging it. Okay. Uh, you know, similar to 52, I had some ideas to begin with that were not ready yet that I just, I knew I wanted to finish. And Patreon is kind of forcing the issue because it's, I now have a schedule yeah. that I have for myself that I, a deadline that I need to, uh, you know, keep to, or, I, you know, I, I don't want to mess this up. I, I want to, you know, put out something that's really good every couple of weeks or at least I'm trying to do so uh, so 
there's no there's no window of time really that I can you know play it for for my my wife because she's so busy with our child or doing yeah. something else that uh you know she <laughs> she's she's also just I, you know so she obviously is, is an amazing wife and mother and everything and but it, the idea of her you know making sure that that my song is good enough to put up online is something that she would laugh at she'd be like <laughs> i don't have no, time for don't you. waste my time with your 5 minutes just go ahead and do it <laughs> Um, she loves so, you, but <laughs> yes, yeah, that's kind of where it's. It's at your job. Do your yeah. job. I don't need to help you with that. Yeah. Well, that's sad. I mean, it's fun. But, uh, <laughs> so this p- patron, as for those who don't know, it doesn't really have a a rule like how you, you approach it. Like yeah. you're you're approaching it as I have to give new content for the most. I'm part. I'm approaching it the the way that I feel like it. You know, I thought about it for a while. Like, what am I going to offer if I if I do that kind of thing? And for a long time, I didn't do patreon because i just didn't feel like there was something i could really add to the to the you know to it that would be worth it um but i i did realize that if i put out more songs in combination with uh um you know if i if i put out more songs and and uh kept it at a kind of a low level to get into it uh that it would be something that it would be something that would get me writing and uh yeah. and people listening to new material that's what i wanted to do well among my other favorite artists that i i support on patreon what they do liz longley and brian vander yeah. a lot of what they're doing is giving us archival material as mm-hmm. well stuff that's never been released or demos or in in some cases, I, I shared performances that I've done in the past with both of them, and they right. have shared some of they those. They put them out. Yeah, That's so, cool. I mean, if you ever need more, like, I don't think I need to give new. I could give you some old, like, I'd cool acoustic. That. Okay, yeah. well, I almost brought those with me today, and I was driving them, like. No, I, I would be into it. I mean, the main thing is still going to be the new songs yeah, for, for, for me for this thing. But if you and get I, stuck. I don't know where I'm going to go with it past yeah. that. I haven't thought about. I don't think I'm going to do, like, a. You know, choose your favorite, and that goes on an album. I, mm-hmm. I don't think that's going to happen this time around. But, um, but yeah, I would be interested in archival okay. <laughs> stuff. Well, that begs the question: Is the album dead? Because I know a lot of artists are just putting out singles, and I gotta say that's annoying to me. I'm probably not going to buy them. I want an album. Uh, I don't. I don't know. For me, it, I wouldn't say it's dead. Um, but I also couldn't tell you what I'm waiting for. You know, as far as putting out something new, because I am writing. Uh, and I could focus the writing on trying to make something that's more cohesive like an album, but I have chosen at this point not to worry about too much about the production value uh, of what I'm putting out on Patreon. It's mostly, um, you know, some of them are a little more produced, but it's mostly, you know, demo kind of quality yeah. stuff. And maybe later on I might, you know, produce it in, uh, with somebody else or something like that. But we'll see. I'd love to see you work with Alex Wong again. That was a great oh, collaboration. Um, I would love to. I love that. I'd love to. Just the way it sounds and mm-hmm. even the pencil scratching. Um, yeah. Like that, just the whole, like, yeah, that you were talking about, idea. You were talking about found, found sounds. Right, like, oh, yeah. So that was just that such was a, good a one. cool thing. Uh, on Patreon, you have a song called Dance of Love. And in the Patreon description, you say the song is open to interpretation. Do you intentionally make lyrics vague so that people can do that? I don't think I make them vague I, I I feel like any song is open to interpretation anything that I write you know I, I like that it could mean something different to, uh, to different people um, so hopefully that hopefully that is the case I, I I would prefer that it I prefer to write stuff that there could be a window that you know somebody could make a different meaning out of it than, than mm-hmm. what I originally intend I feel like that's Honestly, the mark of a good pop song would would be that, and I feel like I'm a pop writer. I get the impression you write more music than lyrics, though. So do, I do. Do you ha- you don't have like a lot of unfinished lyrics lying? No, around. not no. <laughs> like your teenage years, like I do. I wrote a bunch of little. Oh, that's like, well. Maybe we should collaborate. I, I would be happy to show you some of this really sappy stuff. Maybe you could turn it into beauty. <laughs> where do you do your best? Like, where's your head clearest for writing? Like when you're cutting the grass. I know when I'm cutting the grass, I'm kind of like I'm listening to music, but I'm at I'm at a very thinking phase. Yeah. Um, or driving, you do I a lot think, of driving. You mean in terms of writing lyrics? Yeah when, yeah, when is your head clearest for doing that kind of stuff? Never. It, I, I, it's <laughs> now yeah, that you have a kid. I don't have a good answer for that. It, it's it's. I have to. I have to. Most of the time, I feel like I have to force uh, 
you know, something to come out lyrically, and then I could edit it to make it something that's more meaningful. Um, but as far as the music, it's more of a thing that just comes to my head while I'm driving or mowing the lawn or something, yeah. uh, where it's like a musical snippet of 10, 15 seconds, and I sing that into my iPhone, come back to it later. There are lots of those, <laughs> uh, which is good because it helps me, yeah. you know, know have a little clear idea of what I'm going to do for the next Patreon song, you know, because I can go into the archives of, of my iPhone <laughs> recordings and, and then, you know, develop, develop them more. But, um, I don't, I couldn't say that there's a specific thing that's inspiring me lyrically, um, in a certain moment. It's just, I, I have to just, that's when I have to sit down and work, you know, is mm -hmm. to, is to get lyrics out. Speaking of iPhone, is Little White Dots the little dots while we're waiting for somebody to no. write us back? What is Little White Dots? When little White close, Dots is one of the Patreon When you songs. close your eyes, you uh, you see... Like the last bits of lights you saw. Exactly. And the, the whole idea with that song was uh, that, you know, what's going on in this, particularly in this country, makes me want to just shut myself out, shut my eyes, shut all of it down. Mm. Uh, and that is, you know, that was my thought is like, you know, if I'm shutting my eyes, what do I see? I see little white dots. That was interesting. That's where that came from. Cool. <laughs> Corner Cafe is about a woman you encounter. Do you often write strangers into your lyrics? Yeah. Like encounters you've had with people you don't? Yeah. I mean, I, eventually the lyrics, uh, become about some, usually become about some scenario I was in, uh, that was meaningful in some way. And I have to jog my memory to remember things like that uh, sometimes. But but there is somebody who who uh, you know we I can't tell whether she is just living on the street in our town or um, you know spends a lot of time spends there. a lot of time there, <laughs> looking like she lives on the street. I don't know. I don't know what it is uh, in that particular song. But yeah, those kinds of things are inspiring the more it's recent stuff. Fodder for yeah, totally. And the other one on the list that made me go, huh, was Mint. <laughs> Mint is a very uh, atypical Ari Hust song. Yeah. My, my comment is, what the hell? I mean, it's not that I don't like it. It's like, this is not what I expect from I Ari. have I have a side to, you know, if you really get to know me, there's a goofy side of, of me that is clearly not evident to a lot of people unless you get to know me. <laughs> well, That's you don't live close enough like, to me. Yeah. I mean, I had a song on 12 Mondays that was similar, like Binoculars. That was that was a song that, um, you know, particularly with the production, it was just like, I'm gonna just see what this computer does to this note, instead of making something organic sounding, mm -hmm. um, and make something that's a little more whimsical, and and that was a, a similar idea with Mint. <laughs> well, there's a whole bunch of songs already up on Patreon if you're uh, new to Ari's music. Go back to the back catalog, but the best way right now to support many of these independent musicians who I support on this show is to find out if they're doing a Patreon because I think it's <laughs> helping a lot of you do. It can, yeah, it, it's good. It's it, at the, you know, at the moment I think for me, uh, it is helping me write more more than anything else, and that was that was the main design of it from the beginning. I just I, I felt during the pandemic I did not write much music. I was uninspired. It just felt like everything was just not good yeah. for everybody, um, and uh, I wanted to get out of that that frame of mind, and this is helping me do it. And the pandemic has changed so many things. Like yeah. you, you might have brought your band with you on this tour. Sure. You, you might have had a local opener on this tour, mm -hmm. but none of those things are happening. You don't have Doug playing percussion with you today. No, it's it, you know, it's it's getting a little better now. But but uh, the first few shows back were. You can't you know, afford to split right you now. You have people, you know, you don't know whether to wear a mask in a certain situation. Yeah. You don't know if anybody's going to show up to the show because they're scared to come. Yeah. You know, this is, it's crazy. And it, crazy. It, it seems like it's starting to, uh, you know, Get we're back. starting to crawl out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's close out with one of your songs. Okay. What one would you like to Why don't I do I'll, I'll do a Patreon. Uh, Give to, people a taste so they can maybe seek it out by supporting yeah. you. Yeah. So, so far I've done, you know, about 15 songs, I think. So this is from maybe a month ago or so. Uh, this is Private Party.
coffee strong enough right now Still has a way as far as I can tell Time to duck into a cheap motel I'm kinda glad to be alone tonight Find a place where everything feels alright Too many problems making my head swell Gonna have a private party in this cheap motel I ain't gonna call you Ain't gonna write Ain't gonna think about what's wrong tonight All that worry can just go to hell Gonna have a private party in this cheap motel Fun one from Ari Hest on Acoustic Alters Private Party, one that you can find currently on his Patreon page and nowhere else. And yeah. maybe it'll be on a future record. We don't know. Mm-hmm. One final thing that I thought about uh, some of your older material, um, maybe some of the newer stuff, I haven't really been yeah. picking this out, but like favorites of mine, like I've got you has the high falsetto. Yeah. Do you ever worry about getting older and not being able to do those songs? Yes. <laughs> yes, you do. Well, it's funny you say that because the guitar is tuned down a half step. To um, help you with. To help me with that a little bit. Gotcha. <laughs> Hopefully it won't go past that. We'll see. We'll see. Well, always a pleasure to spend time with you. Fan for life. And uh, you. appreciate That's your friendship great. and your kindness to come join me on the podcast. Oh, Thank you for having me, John. Thanks My again. pleasure. And the rock music has started down yes, the hall sir. here <laughs> at Grove Studios. This is what the place is used for. We got yeah. in just in time. We squeezed in a little visit before the people that are here to do what they do, which, uh, again, if you're looking for a place, if you're in the metro Detroit area and you go, gosh, I'm making too much noise in my garage and my neighbors are complaining, this is the place you should come to. It's in Ypsilanti. Just search Grove yeah. Studios and you'll figure it out. But don't disturb John's show. Don't disturb do. John's show. Next yeah. recording is scheduled for October 3rd, I think, with Rebecca Lobby. So don't come oh, then. Nice. <laughs> come any other day. <laughs> Thanks, Harry. I'll take care. You got it.